Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. All right, so public transit is a disaster. That's the headline at the National Review by Dominic Pino, or Pino? 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 But he's relying heavily on a a write-up by a guy named Mark Joffe, Uh, of the Cato Institute, that's a libertarian think tank. And going over the stats, I was surprised to learn that the peak ridership was like nine years ago. And since then, there's been a 40% decline from that high. We're uh, We're now at about 6 billion ridership or trips, 6 billion per year. That was last year's number, 6 billion. The peak was almost $11 billion. Now, there's another stat, though, that's it's called trips per capita, right, per person, basically. And so that gives you a better idea of, like, okay, how many people and whatever. It's 35 rides per resident. That is a stat from 2008, okay? 35 rides per resident. Last year, it was 19 rides per person. And you use that number so you can understand how the population relates to the numbers, but it's it's not that useful as an average. Few Americans actually use transit 19 times a year or 35 times a year, right? Most of us use it zero times (laughs) per year. And a handful of us use it hundreds of times a year, right? You get super users. And then you have everybody else. 87% of the costs to run the systems come from taxpayers. 87%. We are funding these massive systems that nobody is riding. Jaffe's point is that public transit spending is a wasteful way to do environmental policy. Right? If that's like that's one of the arguments, oh, get everybody on the trains, get them out of the cars, and you save Gaia Earth. But there are much cheaper ways to get cars off the road. Like my favorite, I found the most effective is stop sticks. That's it. throw them right out there, blow out the tires. Uh, there are no, there are cheaper ways. If that's the policy goal, reforming land use regulations so you can have more walkable developments, right? Sort of this is the neo-urbanist approach. You create walkable neighborhoods, sidewalks, trails, right? You have less focus on the automobile. You can do tax credits for electric vehicles. If Again, if you're trying to, uh, to achieve some environmental goal, right? And so you're pitching mass transit as the way to achieve an environmental goal. Well, incentivize electric vehicles. How about this? traffic lights that are timed together or smart traffic light systems that reduce idling vehicles by adjusting to traffic patterns, right, in order to alleviate congestion, keep traffic moving. 
that would have, all of these would have a greater impact on emissions at a lower cost than subsidizing these bloated transit systems. So if mass transit isn't moving the masses and it isn't saving the planet, what is it doing? Jobs. It's a jobs program. The number of jobs in urban transit systems increased. Increased since 2007. Well, but surely that's because they're doing a lot of work, right? Mm, No. Labor productivity in urban transit systems declined every year. From 2013 up to the pandemic, labor productivity declined. (laughs) So you've got more people getting added to the roles, to the payroll, and they're less productive as, as they do so. It is a jobs program. And here's the thing. Mass transit is an outliner uh, outlier in the entire industry of transportation, labor productivity. When you look at air transportation, you look at truck transportation, you look at railroads, line haul railroads, all of them have upward trends over the same time period in their labor productivity. So their workers are becoming more productive in those other sectors, and the mass transit system's labor force is becoming less productive as they get more people added to the payrolls. This is not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Speaking of not sustainable transit systems, Charlotte area transit system former CEO John Lewis says... That an internal change jeopardized long-term passenger safety and led to ordering delays and was part of the reason he left the agency last year in November. He gave a sit-down interview to the uh, Charlotte Observer. What with all of the problems coming to light about the train system, the Charlotte area transit system over the last month, uh, I guess he felt like he needed to do some damage control. So he sits down with the reporter, Jenna Contino, and um, they publish this as a, as a Q&A. He says he left CATS because there were some very clear structural deficiencies, not only in the setup of the agency, but how the chain of command view the agency and how we operate. In 2019, it was decided to consolidate all of the city's support functions, HR, procurement, IT, And others. I get that, he says. The reasoning for that, I get it. So you have one structure. But when you have an operating agency the size and complexity of cats, there are two things that are the absolute lifeblood of the agency. People and materials. To have that taken away from you and not being controlled really became what's the beginning of the problem. He says, so when we we were in charge through our own HR department of hiring and recruiting He said, I had responsibility and ultimate authority over that. When they were taken out of our department, now I still got the responsibility, but those people didn't work for me. And that was a challenge during good times, but once the pandemic happened, it became an absolute nightmare. So he had his power taken from him through this consolidation of procurement and HR and IT. 
So on the uh, procurement, he says, if we needed pencils, if we needed tires, right? You fill out the paperwork, you get it to the procurement people. They work through a process before the solicitation goes public. And then the private sector responds. And then he has a whole bunch of stats that he compiled, which I got to believe he did before he left, knowing that this was all going to blow up because he has like these stats of how long it takes to get, for example, through the procurement process, cleaning supplies for buses, cleaning supplies for buses. 1,024 days sitting in procurement. It takes 1,000 days to get to go out to public bid for cleaning supplies a thousand days that's like one two that's like uh carry the 17 that's like uh three years right a thousand days that's all that's like three years almost engine cylinder head replacements a thousand twenty four days also exhaust cleaning 865 days Box truck maintenance vehicle support, 630 days. Bus purchases over a year. He says, I need people and I need parts, and none of those were really under my authority. So I started running these reports straight off the procurement internal site, and when I put this in front of the city manager during my annual review for the second year in a row, the response was, we're not going to look into that problem. I'm going to bring in a third party to look into CATS, I think that rather than solving a problem and helping us get over this challenge, they went into rear-end covering. So CYA. I wonder what the Charlotte City Council is going to do with this information now. Well, I mean, everybody except Braxton Winston, because he's running for labor commissioner. And so, you know, I I don't think he's going to be paying much attention to these kinds of issues, even though it does kind of affect labor, it being a jobs program and all. But, um, yeah, I am kind of curious. What's the response? Let's see, when was this story? Oh, this story is like almost a month old. Charlotte City Council hasn't really done much of anything on this. Oh, I wonder why. Oh, probably because it's the Metropolitan Transit Commission's job. Oh, no, no, we need to have a regional body, an authority take over control. That'll fix the problems. That's the issue. Maybe that's why they said that that's what they needed, was so they can get it out from underneath the city's HR and procurement systems but without having to admit that that's what you're trying to do because that would be admitting that your manager made a mistake so many questions former charlotte area transit system john lewis sat down with the uh, charlotte observer and uh yeah and talked about why he left he said both in 2020 and 2021 my one challenge was procurement my inability to bring in enough parts to manage my system. I brought that up with the city manager in those reviews. And Katz's interim CEO, fellow by the name of Brent Cagle, said that Lewis did not present an urgent need for bridge inspections or a light rail overhaul as priorities when Cagle was overseeing the city's procurement. <gasps> so wait a minute. So Brent Cagle is now in charge of the C is now in charge of cats. He's the interim CEO. They just brought him from the airport where he was like doing work over there, right? Trying to, he was doing the interim gig over there and then they sent him to cats. But apparently he came from procurement, which is what the former head of cats says was the 
That was the problem. Getting stuff done via the city's procurement department took too long. He couldn't get what he needed in a timely fashion. Um, there's a couple different elements here also. There's the RATP dev, or RATP dev, as I call it. Uh, this is the uh, organization. It's got the contract with the uh, the operators, the bus operators, right? And they're unionized. They're, it's a collective bargaining deal, and apparently it's tied to federal transportation funds. So you got to have collective bargaining agreements and all of this. And so Lewis says that during uh, the pandemic, as a bus operator, your life didn't change. You still had to come to work. Not only did you have to come to work, but you still had to interact with the public, not knowing what kind of situation was going on health-wise. Katz, at that time, was flush with money. You were getting all of this federal money into the transit system to help keep systems running. If we were a normal transit system with a board of directors, I would have said we have a problem where our operators and our frontline people feel like they're being unfairly compensated given the risk that we are putting them in. But because we're a city department, the answer was we can't do anything special for you because other city departments can't afford to do the same. And it'd be unfair to them. But my employees are dealing with public, uh, with the public each and every day. It took a year for the city to finally come around and give safety bonuses to employees. And it was like 500 bucks, and my employees were livid. This is what I've been doing for a year, and you give me that? Meanwhile, they see my finances. I've got more money than we ever had. But you can't take care of us? I understand why the union was mad, but because I'm a city employee, my hands were tied. All right, now, the observer then takes this information, this statement from John Lewis, and they go to the city, and the communications director, Jason Schneider, said Katz bus operators are employed by Ratipdev, which has a contract to operate the city's buses. Bus operator pay is part of a collective bargaining agreement, and because of that, the claim about pay equity compared to other employees doesn't make sense. And... COVID-related bonuses applied to CATS as well. So there is obviously a disconnect here, right? There's also a disconnect regarding the train derailment that occurred, the light rail train car derailment, which, like, again, it's not like a train car flipped off the tracks and people were injured and all this. It was a, you know, a wheel came off of the track. And that's, I mean, most derailments, I think, actually happen sort of in the train yard as they move them around and stuff. But there's some disagreement about this and who knew what and when. And then there was a backpedaling. <laughs> there was a backtracking on it. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners, all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? All right, so the light rail derailment, the light rail train car that derailed uh, the former CEO of CATS is asked about this by the Charlotte Observer. He says, I go to the scene. 
I get the information. The first thing I do is text to the city manager, I guess. Hey, boss, this is what's happening. This is what we're doing. Let me know if you have any questions. The second thing I do is send an email to my board. So in my chain of command, there's my board and there's the city manager. Now, remember, when people hear the term derailment, they think of people killed, trains blowing up. But derailments happen all the time. Uh, He says there are like three a day in America. Uh, But most, it's like a flat tire. You operate millions of miles a day. You're going to have incidents, okay, where a wheel comes off a track or whatever. It's not that, you know, that big of a deal. Okay. But then there was this other story. Um. Where, where did it go? Where I totally took, hang on a second. Oh, no. Oh, that's embarrassing. Oh, here it is. (laughs) I got too many stacks of stuff. I have too many stacks of prep. Here it is. So the city manager, Marcus Jones, uh, says he first learned of the train derailment in that meeting uh, a couple weeks ago. A spokesperson for the city said that Jones learned about the incident uh, in February, the same time interim CEO Brent Cagle did. In a rare news conference uh, back in, uh, what was this, uh, March, Jones said that he made an honest mistake. Um, He says uh, former Cats CEO John Lewis did text him the day the train derailed. But he said, it surprised me. This is something I missed. I do not recall receiving this text It is not my intent to misinform anyone. The text message, according to Jones, said, FYI, we just had a minor derailment of the Blue Line train heading northbound at Archdale Station. Middle set of wheels came off the track. 36 people on board. No injuries. We have a bus bridge in place while we investigate. Jones said that he either missed the text or failed to acknowledge its significance. He says he didn't receive any other messages about the incident And in an ideal world, he would have discussed this incident with Kat's leadership. The key here is based on their actions. Kat's leadership did not think that the May 21st, 2022 incident warranted escalation beyond that one text. That's the real problem. Not that I don't recall seeing the text. Not that I thought that they had kept this information from me. No, no. The big deal here is that they only sent me one text. The way this was constructed with the concept of minor derailment either didn't register with me or is something I totally missed. I'm not buying this. This just seems shady to me. It, it just seems shady. When you, the train, right, you got all these, you got all the wheels on the track and like the middle wheels pop off the track and so you stop the train and you get everybody off and and then you send the text message to the city manager hey heads up this is what happened then he sent the message and then the manager pretends months later that he had no idea this happened and then when shown hey you got these texts oh that's right i guess i got them i don't remember getting them though i totally don't remember getting the text message i don't know Jones outlined four steps that the city has taken to review cats and restore trust. He's requesting the FTA conduct an off-cycle expedited review. 
He's also working with city leaders to provide more resources and personnel support for cats and um, said the city will will continue to pursue a sales tax increase for transit and continue to craft a regional transit expansion plan. (laughs) Because really they've shown their ability to manage this system right now quite effectively. Um, There's probably not going to be a referendum, though, that happens anytime soon. So there's that. Um, Then... Let me get back to the, yeah, here, back to the the interview. The light rail vehicle repairs. John Lewis, the former CEO, says it took over, uh, like, what, two years, almost two years in the procurement process. He says it's two years behind. We are literally cannibalizing trains to keep other trains on the track. Mandatory bridge structure inspection contract, 280 days sitting in procurement. It wasn't that we didn't want to inspect the bridges. It's that we had no means of bringing in the contractors to do the inspections. That's what he says. He was asked by the paper, do you think that the Metropolitan Transit Commission was fully aware of the issue? And Lewis says no, because this was a city-created problem. And in hindsight, I probably should have blown the whistle. I should have raised that issue broader than just with the city manager. Now, the city says they found no record of uh, the city manager, or sorry, of, uh, of John Lewis, the CAT CEO, sending any messages to the mayor or to the county commissioner who's on the MTC body, Lee Altman. So, like, there's no record of him trying to reach out to any city official to try to get some uh, to try to get some movement on procurement and personnel that he says were getting log jammed by the city. Was public safety ever jeopardized because of aging out fleet and delayed maintenance? And he says short term, no, because we never allowed an unsafe vehicle to go into service. But long term, it was an absolute problem. And one of the reasons why I left and then didn't tell anybody. Dude, really? Like, here's the thing. Just for the record, I don't have to pick Marcus Jones, the city manager, right, or John Lewis, the former CAT CEO. Like, in this fight, I don't have to pick one or the other. They can both be bad. (laughs) They can both be wrong here, okay? It's quite possible that Lewis wasn't doing a good job at managing and didn't blow the whistle for political reasons or whatever. And I mean, like, because seriously, like you, you're saying to me now that long-term you have concerns about the safety of the fleets and you don't tell people that on your way out. You just quit. You just quit, keep your mouth shut and land yourself a gig at a, a transportation consultant firm. So that's the deal. Was that the idea? Was that you, you planned your exit so you could get out? Um, the interim CEO, Brent Cagle, told the Charlotte Observer the city needs to improve the age of and replace the bus fleet, but that the fleet is safe. Um, John Lewis said that he thinks Cagle's probably doing the best that he possibly can. I don't have any issues with that. What I have a problem with is not telling the truth. Cagle was over procurement for the last two years. So once again, I don't have to pick him either. I like I don't I don't have any sightline into who the bad guy is here. 
All I know is that a lot of people that didn't do a good job at managing all of this stuff are pointing the fingers at each other, which I think is a sign of really good management and leadership. I'm pretty sure that's one of the signs that you point to everybody else as the cause of all the problems. Um, Lewis concludes this interview. I thought this was interesting. He says, Marcus Jones, the city manager, is very binary. He sees the world in twos. There are villains and there are victims, and he never wants to be the villain. This is not about hurting Marcus. When I left, that's what I wasn't. Uh, that's why I wasn't talking, not doing anything. I don't want to get in the mud slinging. But it seems every time there's another story, there's just another blatant lie that comes out. Like, dude, if you didn't think you were going to be made to be the fall guy when you resigned after the derailment became public knowledge and all that, like, maybe, yeah, maybe you should not be managing these systems because there is a political component here. And if you didn't think you were going to be the fall guy, I don't know what to tell you. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items. From modern tactical gear to historical collectibles, Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Let's go over here and talk to Jerry. Welcome to the program. Hello, Jerry. Hey, Pete. How are you? Hey, I'm good. What's going on? So here's my question. Can you remind me, please, why is the city manager being paid almost half a million dollars? Well, I think it has to do with the fact that the transit system uh, is running so fantastically and uh, 44% of our roads are in poor condition and um, and we're going to get a property tax increase even though it's a revenue neutral rate. So we got that going for us. I think, uh, yeah, I think he's earned it. Yeah, don't. Don't forget that they can uh, that they've allowed developers to buy property in residential neighborhoods where they can knock down single family homes and buy, and build multifamilies. Now, to be fair, council wanted to do that. He just went along with it, yeah. right? <laughs> that's that's my personal favorite. And then, of course, there are other things, but they're less politically po- yeah. they're less politically correct to say. So, well, yeah, here's here, he's doing a great job. Yeah, here's the problem: is if you force him out, and I remember getting this. Uh, piece of advice 20 years ago on the school system issue with the superintendent replacement was that if you force them out, chances are the replacement is going to be worse. Like they generally don't get better (laughs) throughout, uh, like over time, the replacements don't, don't uh, surpass the performance of the prior uh, chief. I, I thought you were going to say if we force them out, we're going to have to pay them the hundred, the, the half a million dollars anyway. Because you know, they're so, they're so good at structuring contracts. That's right, the golden parachute for Ernest Winston. That's right. There you go, Jerry. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Thanks, Pete. Uh huh. Yeah, no, it's that's that's one of the other problems. Um, yeah, Marcus Jones. Like I've I've just been kind of watching him, but uh, like this criticism of him as a. As he sees things as binary all the time, like that's pretty, that's a pretty specific type of um, criticism that he's very binary, particularly in this world where everybody is non-binary. It seems like. 
<laughs> but there's also what uh, what John Lewis says here is that they uh, he sees everything, the world in twos, villains and victims, and he never wants to be the villain. But there's actually a third. There's the hero. There is the hero. People see them, which is, that's not binary, which this now makes me also question whether or not Lewis has correctly identified this perspective of Jones. Because if, if there are only villains and victims, then how are the villains ever defeated? You need heroes in the equation as well. And that's always been traditionally, right? Everybody sees themselves as the hero or the victim, never the villain. But if there are only villains and victims, then you're always victimized? I don't think that's a very strong leadership style. So is that correct? And maybe Lewis doesn't realize there's a third option, or maybe he's correct, or I I don't know. Like I said, that to me, that was the most interesting part. It didn't get any follow-up questions, but that was a very interesting uh, comment coming from a manager. I mentioned the roads. In Charlotte, according to uh, Queen City News, researchers say 44% of the major roads in Charlotte are in poor or mediocre condition. North Carolina faces a significant challenge in providing a reliable, safe, and well-maintained transportation system uh, the director of policy and research with TRIP, T-R-I-P, it's the name of the organization. Guy's name is Rocky Moretti, um, which I think I saw him fight in the undercard uh, years ago in Vegas. Anyway, the trans I'm just kidding. His name is Rocky Moretti. Uh, the transportation research team out of Washington, D.C., used data from the North Carolina Department of Transportation, the Federal Highway Administration, and the U.S. Department of Transportation to understand better how road conditions impact drivers. And it found that poorly paved roads and congestion cost Charlotte drivers about $560 a year. Statewide, travelers are spending $3.7 billion on repair costs and increased fuel consumption per year. My colleague, Brett Winterbull, sends me a tweet. It's a Pete tweet. And he says, come on, Pete. The system failed. The cats just blame it on systemic failure. That's it. Right. It's so true. Like when, <laughs> whenever, when, when first I heard Brett say that the system failed and how this is like the explanation for all of these programs when they fail this is always the excuse oh the system failed the system failed you see it everywhere and that's what they're saying the system failed oh well we moved procurement over here into the city and the system failed it's never anybody's fault even though brent cagle the guy who's now the interim ceo of cats he was in charge of procurement and the guy who ran cats was like yeah the problem was procurement so now you put a guy in charge of cats do you think he's going to say, oh, you know what? John Lewis was right. It was, in fact, my fault all this time. <laughs> oh, that was my bad. I, when I was running the procurement department, I, I, apparently I wasn't doing very good work over there. Last year, North Carolina passed a bill to provide a portion of the state's sales tax revenue to improve roadways and highways. The additional money is expected to help. Um. On top of inflation, the rise of fuel-efficient cars like hybrids and electric vehicles is reducing the state and federal motor fuel tax effectiveness. 
All right, but also we're spending a lot of money on transit systems that have lower ridership numbers now, right? We have a lot more people that have moved here, and we have elected officials that are not focusing on core services because they're focusing on all of these other things, all the shiny objects, and not the core services.